This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales. Every time I've said that, every time I've been thinking I'm going to say Confederate Pirates Shave the Whales. Um, and <laughs> I never have. Genre, so, 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 this is Robin Mob. Oh, I get to say it this time. <clears throat> On our 51th episode. Yes. This is Robin Mob at uh, Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales. Yes. And uh, this is a this is another very special episode because it's the episode where the Shenandoah gets back to Liverpool. The, the war is over. Lay down your guns. Oh, I'm, I'm, lower the flag. Lower the flag. I'm I'm, I'm feeling very emotional. Yeah, this is an emotional moment. It, it, it's probably not our last episode because we have to do we have to do clean up and we have to you know there there is a couple of things we'd like to cover in a, in maybe one or two episodes after this one is what happened to all of the characters yes yes and the other is the uh, famous what were known as the Alabama claims which was the legal cases that resulted from <clears throat> the Shenandoah's depredations and and that of the uh, Alabama and the other commerce raiders. Yes, yeah, so so we kind of have the courthouse scene like the one that they have at the end of the producers where the jury goes, we find the defendants incredibly guilty. <laughs> and, and we also have the the, yes, the the what happened to them then scene uh, like they have at the end of Animal House where it's revealed that the, the captain of cadets was fragged by his own troops at Vietnam and that um, John Belushi's character became senator. There you go. Yeah, yes. We do actually know what happened to uh, most of the protagonists in the story, and we'll, we'll share that in a later episode. But for now, <sighs> the Shenandoah is is coming into Liverpool, and uh, Lieutenant Whittle, the first officer whose journal we'd been using quite extensively throughout the cruise, P- pillaging might pe- be pillaging. Well, <laughs> they are pirates. I think it's a good it's it's a good use of a word. They uh, they stopped. The entry stopped on the 3rd of November. He finally oh, gave up heart. Yeah. But what he did was, uh, many years later... Oh, he did a... So it's like, again, this is like the, the end of um, uh, Harry Potter. You got 19 years later, yes. <laughs> okay. okay, I'm going to drive that from my mind as I say. Many years later... He actually wrote an account of the surrender and, in fact, the ultimate fate of the Shenandoah, which I think oh. we should save oh. for a, oh, yes. For a later yes. episode. Okay. But the surrender, let, let's have that now. So it was on the 5th of November, 1865, that they entered St. George's Channel. Yes. Which was the first land that they'd seen for 122 days. That was the T- Tusker Lighthouse. Oh, gosh. No wonder, no wonder sailors needed stories about mermaids to keep them going. Yes. And made it within a few moments of when it was expected. And he actually gives props there to our young navigator, Irvine S. Brook. Okay, yes, yes. Could higher proof of the skill of our young navigator be desired? So there you go. I think you've probably remembered by now that um, young Bullock is, in fact, the, the nephew of the person who has all the rest of their money. <laughs> that's, that's right. Back in Liverpool. So, 
a pilot came on board. Ah, yes. And this was actually the first person they had spoken to for many months since the Barracuda. Oh, gosh. So when they'd got the uh, news that the war was over and seen the newspapers um, and finally convinced themselves, yes, it's time to pack up shop and and skedaddle back to Liverpool, this is the first actual person they've spoken to since. And he did indeed confirm, yes, the war ended (laughs) quite some time ago. And the ship came in. Now, interestingly, though, um, if you... uh, if you read the uh, the the notes to this uh, to this account, both uh, the both both accounts say that the pilot was given the name of another ship. Ah, yes. Oh, and that is confirmed by Doctor Lining, but later. Yes, and that was that was I guess so that the news wouldn't be immediately sent back that you know yes. the Shenandoah had arrived. So they said it was uh, the name of another ship that had come out of Calcutta. Instead, just as a way of, uh, you know, putting people off. Um, I'll give you the name of the ship right now. They claimed it was the Araminta. Well, I'm glad that that agrees with what Dr. Lining says. So I'm glad we've got agreement from from two sources. Well, actually, no. uh, Lieutenant Chu recorded it was the Armenian. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Lining and Whittle say it's the Araminta. And I... I, Oh, and also... um, Lining is an eyewitness, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, so, yeah. So, sorry to, to, to tread all over your uh, your cues there, Michael. So the, the ship was brought in and it was uh, steamed up the River Mercy with the Confederate flag at her peak. Yes. And this was the flag that was displayed at the uh, Civil War Museum uh, of the Confederacy in Richmond. Uh, the, the one that was on our Facebook page yeah. only last week. Yes. And it was anchored by the pilot, by Captain Waddell's order, near... Um, her Majesty's guard ship, the Donegal. Well, that will absolute that should absolutely stop um, any American gunboat from coming in and cutting them out. But I, I don't think even the Americans would be cutting ships out of Liverpool, uh, out of the Mersey. So. No, no. And soon after, a uh, lieutenant, as it would be, not a lieutenant, yes. from the Donegal, came on board. And when he was told this is the Shenandoah, he officially advised them of the termination of the war. So on the uh, 6th of November, 1865, that was when the last Confederate flag was hauled down and the last piece of Confederate property, namely the CSS Shenandoah, was surrendered to the British nation. And Captain Waddell actually wrote a letter to Earl Russell, who is the Prime Minister. Yes. sent it via Captain Painter RN commanding the Donegal. Now, he's an important figure... Uh, a little bit later on when they work out what to do with the ship. Okay, okay. So, do you have anything else to add to the uh, steaming in? Oh, well, look, as always, luckily, um, uh, Dr. Lining has not ended his, his journal quite yet. Uh, in fact, he's got a couple of couple of days. But, uh, yes, so... Um, so Monday, November the 6th, 1865. So I, I guess he's, he's writing it... Um, the day afterwards, but anyway. Running up the Mersey and anchored off Liverpool. Pilot came on board just about midnight. Whittle woke me up at my request and I got up to hear what he had to tell. When he hailed to ask what ship we were, Bullock answered back the Araminta and, uh. and, and Lining was there to hear him say that. Well, I think we take that one as gone. Yes, because remember, Chu, Chu, you know, 
choose the next druggist, but he might be back on the... Uh... There, there is actually a note elsewhere that Cornelius Hunt's account yes. of uh, uh, this let, whole episode yes. is completely fictitious. So. Oh, well, uh, yeah, uh, uh, with, with, with much more in Cornelius Hunt's... Uh, in, in, keeping with, in keeping with him, yes. Uh, now, Bullock answered back the Araminta that the pilot boat might not report us, with Whittlethorpe very disgraceful, but I thought quite right. Found that the pilot had very little news to tell except that the war was entirely over and that the South was getting along far better than was anticipated. Now, I, I, is that going to be good news or is that going to be... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but he was a kind of know-nothing saying that the war had been over so long that it had ceased to be interesting. Oh, dear. Oh, that, that just must be so crushing to me. Oh, yeah. Asked him if he could carry us over the bar this tide, said he did not think he could, but as the captain said he did not care whether she struck or not, he would try. Oh, oh, I think oh. that must be the single most despondent thing any captain has ever said that's, ever. That's terrible. So we let her out full speed, but about four o'clock she struck hard and fast on the bar and had to remain until high tide, or rather until the turn of the tide. Started her again about seven o'clock in the morning, and after three trials got her off and started up. It was quite hazy as we went up, so we were unobserved, but we cast anchor about nine o'clock near Rock Ferry and near the Donegal, the guard ship. So again, all of our sources are, are lining up. Um, no one went ashore, although the custom house officer gave us protection, but no one wanted to go except that they could carry their luggage with them, as in they only wanted to go if they could scarper and never come back. Yes. So, yeah. uh, sometime during the day, a lieutenant from the Donegal in full tog came alongside and had an interview with Waddell. Later, the custom house authorities came back and took possession of the ship and said that no one must leave her until they heard from authorities at London. OK, so they've had to telegraph up to London. So here we are, prisoners on board our own ship, taken by custom house officers. That must be very galling for proud southerners, because, you know, the custom house are not the most martial no, of that. No. No. And it must have been galling to, one, have your captain say, I don't care whether she sticks or not. <laughs> Two, to have it strike on the bar. Three... Steaming gallantly up the Mersey isn't quite as a romantic thing when it's done in the middle of a thick fog. So yes, nobody can yes, see you. Yes, anyway. yes. I have to say that the movie will not have that. The movie, <laughs> the movie will have crowds of gawping sightseers lining both sides of the Mersey. Um, okay, so he continues. Um, in the evening, Lieutenant Cheek R.N. came on board with a detachment of Marines with orders to render any assistance that might be necessary. Oh, that's nice of them. All hands were then relieved from duty so that everybody could do as he chose. We had sent on board and got some fresh provisions for our dinner, but the men had nothing to eat all day. For humanity's sake, I resolved to see my sick through. Well, that's nice of him again. Yeah. We sang and laughed in the wardroom, rejoicing in full bellies of fresh provisions, while the custom house officers were carried into the steerage and made so roaring drunk that one slept in the lee scuppers all night. Oh, dear. <laughs> About 8pm, a Captain Whitehead, an old gentleman, may his head never grow any whiter, came off in a steamboat, 
bringing us the greatest allowance of fresh provisions, not only for ourselves, but for all hands, and some little luxuries as whiskey, tea, white sugar, pipes, tobacco for ourselves. His present was the most acceptable that he could possibly have brought. I forgot to mention two casks of beer and one of port. It gave all our men a good meal, and the sick got apples, etc. Spent the rest of the evening most jollily. And presumably the uh, customs guy got out of the Lee scuppers at some point. Well, at, at some point. They, they probably woke him up. But So, um, while, while all this is going on, uh, there is things going on at a very, very high political oh, level. Oh, okay, yes. Yes. Um, in fact, it's gone all the way up to uh, the Prime Minister and uh, the Earl of Clarendon, who was the Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs. And that was that uh, Captain Waddell had sent a letter to Earl Russell talking yes. about what the, the cruise was. And, yes. Uh, he probably very proudly pointed out that they'd been <laughs> at sea for 12 months and 17 days had captured 38 vessels valued at $1.172 million. Several of them while the war was still on, yes. <laughs> they bonded six and destroyed 32, second only to the CSS uh, Alabama. Alabama. Although and I think they are equal second. I think the Florida got 38. But anyway. Had circumnavigated the globe and had been into every ocean except the Antarctic, and they got pretty close they, to that. They, they did, yes, yes. And uh, um, actually, Whittle is very keen to point out that uh, it did that entire journey without the loss of a single spar. And that's the sort of thing that uh, Captain Jack Aubrey would be very proud of. Yes. Well, mind you, he can't claim that without the loss of a single man because they lost two. I'm I'm glad that spars are clearly more important (laughs) than uh, than people. So um, Captain Waddell's letter to Earl Russell had the unvarnished facts and uh, officially surrendered the vessel to the British nation. Um, a gunboat called the Goshawk was lashed alongside, so that really meant that uh, the ship wasn't going anywhere. Yes. Meanwhile, um, the US Minister, Adams, yes. um, he sent a letter to the Earl of Clarendon, the Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, requesting that the necessary steps be taken mm. for the ship to be surrendered to the United States. But they have a bit of a problem. And that is that what to do with the crew on board. Yes. Now, to the British, they only have one concern, and that is that they have something called the Foreign Enlistment Act, Uh which says that British subjects are not allowed to serve um, in the army of another power or in the army or the navy of another power. Oh dear! Well, given given, in a war. given that we know at least one 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 of the crew members of the Shenandoah lost his British Army pension <laughs> from the Crimea, um, I, I think they're going to have a bit of trouble uh, unless unless some mechanism can be found by which. So uh, um, we now lead to I think uh, one of the uh, the final and most farcical parts of the entire story, and that yes. is um, the the captain. Of the Donegal, Captain yep. Painter is sent on board yes. to determine which of the crew are British subjects. Okay. And uh, they were all lined up on deck and yes. he went along and he asked each man in turn, where are you from? Yes. And I think this is the, this must make, would make a very amusing scene in a film as well. Because yes. it didn't matter whether these people were uh, British American, Malays, Hawaiians, yes. Yes. Chinese, 
or every other nationality that was was on board, they all answered. What did they answer, Rob? I think they all answered. We are we are good good loyal Southerners from uh, you know with uh, with with um, with attempts at a uh, a Southern <laughs> accent. They basically said that they were all Southerners. Yes, they all then uh, whistled Dixie <laughs> and were uh, were allowed to go. Uh, well, I, I think it was probably good that they were allowed to go, and they were probably told, you know, do not let the dust settle upon you when you when you reach the shore. Um, yes, head off into. The- so, so uh, Captain Painter reported back that he was unable to determine whether anybody on board was a British subject, because they all claimed that they were loyal Southerners. Yes, and uh, on that basis, um, everybody at a uh, higher level decided uh, that's fair enough. That that solves a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. Here. Let's not like actually arrest them or cross-examine them or you know. Just... Have a, have a bit more of a listen to that Irish accent. Let's just uh, let's just go yes. for it. So, uh, in in the end, um, a letter was sent, um, basically stating that uh, nobody was going to be detained under legal warrant. Yes. Upon any criminal charge, there was no ground upon which they can be properly prevented from going on shore and disposing themselves as they see fit. Excellent. And we cannot advise Her Majesty's government to assume or exercise the power of keeping them under any kind of restraint. And that is the letter from uh, Minister Adams of the United States. So pretty much the United States government just wants shot of the whole thing as well. Oh. This is going to come back to bite everybody on the arse. Like <sighs> dear, dear me. But, yeah. But at this stage, just... <laughs> This was just a problem they wanted to go away. So on well, that basis, well, again, because I think the pa- the papers had been the the, the uh, American papers had been you know, very hard on the Shenandoah because they were the last combatants. But uh, interesting, what the pilot said that in fact the South is reconstruction is starting to happen and the South is actually quite peaceful. So in fact, probably the, what the last thing the Americans want is a, a show trial of pirates. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> because that, that's just going to get all all of the all of the southerners who have been quite pe- peaceable at the moment, you know, back back supporting their chaps. So yes, everybody wants it just to just go away and unfortunately um So it, what happened was the uh, the advice was given um to Captain Painter and the advice was to release all officers and men who were not ascertained to be British subjects and as Captain Painter on the 8th, so a couple of days later is when he came on board and, and determined that nobody was indeed British, um, everybody <clears throat> everybody went. So, uh, Whittle writes, Thus ended our memorable cruise, grand in its conception, grand in its execution, and unprecedentedly, awfully grand in its sad finale. Oh dear, oh dear, dear, dear. To the four winds the gallant crew scattered, most of them never to meet again until called to the bar of that highest of all tribunals. That's not the international court, I presume. I think I presume he's talking about God here. Though <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so there was an international tribunal, which we'll talk about in a later episode. The ship was then handed over to US agents and um, a captain was appointed to take it back to New York. And we'll talk about the fate of the ship uh, later as well. Well, now, um, 
Oh, gosh. There's two more entries in Dr. Lining's journal, which I think, given that they're the last two entries, I think I'll... Um, I might read them out in full, and and then we come to the sad, sad. So ends my Shenandoah journal. So there's um, there, there's two more entries for um, Tuesday, November the seventh, and uh, no, sorry, uh, Monday, November the sixth, Tuesday, November the seventh, and uh, and Wednesday, November the eighth, off off Liverpool. So uh, I'll just uh, I'll just go into them. Tuesday, November the seventh, eighteen sixty five. All got up this morning in good spirits, hoping that our detention would soon be over, and we have plenty to eat and drink as Captain Whitehead made blessing shower upon him, again sent off to us eggs, milk, etc., etc. Spent the day in looking at the steamboat loads of people who came to have a gaze at us, as if we were wild beast. Captain Painter of the Donegal himself came off today and went into the cabin. He said that he had telegraphed up for our release, and as soon as he got an answer, he would send it down to us. Very kind of him, certainly. During the day, an English gunboat, the Goshawk, came alongside and made fast to us to keep us from going to sea. The ridiculous idea, as if we had not just come off such a sea voyage as to wish never to go to sea again. At any rate, Captain Chuck will have... Some place to sleep tonight instead of on the transom in the cabin. The old custom house officer who got so drunk last night was drunk again this morning, sang us a humorous song and before night got himself into trouble by insulting Captain Chuck who reported him to his superiors. So the poor fellow will get into trouble. In the evening one or two of the officers took French lease and spent the night on shore. Later, as we still had our, had our milk punch and we invited in Waddell and Chuck to take a little refreshment with the wardroom mess, but before we did so, had quite a discussion as to whether it was proper to be done or not. Whittle, I think, getting very unnecessarily angry with Grimball about a little point of etiquette and therefore was not present. However, we had quite a merry evening of it. Captain Chuck would drink but very little, but old Brown and the pilot got informally drunk. I don't know quite what's, what in, what's informally in drunk. drunk. <laughs> I, I suspect it was originally infernally drunk, and the transcriber has uh, has made a little mistake. Um, milk punch, also. I milk punch. I, that sounds oh well, anyway. Unappealing. Maybe it's like a white Russian. Um, I don't oh, think that does sound appealing. I don't think I ever laughed more in my life than I did to see Brown get the pilot's pipe away from him. Scales first dropped asleep and followed Grimball to bed, then Waddell and the rest of us kept it up until about midnight. Wednesday, November eighth, eighteen sixty five, off Liverpool. Still no news for us this morning, nor no fresh provisions sent off. The thing is being pushed too far now. It is being rubbed in, and everybody has a big disgust on, and loud talking is going. Bullock came off early this morning, but Lee did not get back until 10am, and then looking much the worse for wear. Was he on, what did they call it, French lease? French lease. Well, again, it's French lease in here, but I think given that every other time I've heard that, it's been French leave. um, I think there there was too much milk punch consumed (laughs) while I was writing this. Oh, Lee did not get back until 10am and then looking much the worse for wear, his hat lost and replaced by another, his knuckles skinned and altogether looking pretty seedy. Where he had been, he did not know, nor did anyone else. In the evening, the majority of the officers determined to leave the ship, even if they had to leave all their things on board. 
Captain North and Mr. Robertson came off to pay us a visit and rather fanned the flame, I think. Several of the men left openly by being dressed in citizen's clothing and swearing that they did not belong to the ship. As Kearney, I determined I would remain, no matter what the consequences might be, although I began to grow very uneasy. When almost night fell, they doubled the guard on the ship, hoisted the dinghy on the deck of the gunboat and gave orders that no boat should come alongside, except alongside of the gunboat so that everyone had to cross her decks. But I thought that I ought not to leave the sick. We were all at supper about seven o'clock when we heard a steamer come alongside and soon heard that orders had been retrieved from London to let everyone go on shore who were not British subjects. Captain Painter came off and read the order to us and then had the crew mustered, asking each man where he was from, and each man swore that he was a southerner. About half past eight, we all got packed, had our baggage examined by the custom house officials, put it on board the steam which long it lay alongside it, and we bid a final adieu to the old Shenandoah, which had carried us safely over so many hundred weary miles of water. I left one sick man on board who I promised to call for tomorrow to carry to the hospital, and now it is all over. I must say the government acted very well in letting us go so easily, for I thought we would have to stand some sort of trial. It was a very disagreeable thing to be put under the control of the Custom House officers, but I can testify that they treated us with all the civility and courtesy was in their power, and so did everyone. It is all over, and I thank God for it. We were the last thing that flew the Confederate flag, and that is something to be proud of. As soon as we landed, Whittle and I went together, as two could work better than one, got all our things on a cab, and after trying to get into three hotels, finally got into the Clifton Hotel, 41 Islington. As soon as we could get dressed and had something to eat, went to the Queen's to see Colin Mackenzie. Met there also Major Hughes, learned a great deal of news, and had a very pleasant evening. So ends my Shenandoah journal. So that that's it. That that's um. Well, I think we probably will have to do a, a special a special episode where we might have to get uh, Barry Crompton in from the Australian American Civil War Roundtable um, when the uh, the Debney Minor Scales Journal is is eventually released, which has just been bought by the State Library of Victoria, is eventually released. I think we might have a, a top up episode. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that might might be episode fifty three. So. There we are. There were commemorations in Liverpool yes, uh, on yes. the weekend. Um, oh, yes. There was also a uh, commemoration by the uh, Australian Civil War Roundtable um, in Melbourne. Yes. We went to the Polly Woodside, which is a ship that was built about 20 years after the uh, Shenandoah, but has a very similar configuration. So we had a very interesting guided tour by Bayard Shepherd, an earlier guest on our podcast. He was pointing out some of the similarities and differences between the Shenandoah and uh, the ship that we were on. So it was a great way to commemorise commemorate the uh, the return. And it was it was absolutely fascinating because um, the two ships, um, the Polly Woodside was built about twenty years after the Shenandoah and was, was all steel construction, but their sizes were quite similar. And I guess all I can say is it was kind of little and big at the same time. I mean, the the, the cabins were tiny. And it really made you realise, given Waddell was such a prickly person, that if you were the executive officer and presumably just across the the great cabin was was, was your cabin, oh gee, you'd you'd you'd, um, you'd you'd be worried that you know you know you, you didn't want to want to get him annoyed. But um, that was absolutely fascinating. And also, I got a very good insight into piracy 
on the on on, oh. on Saturday because after we went to the Pollywood side, we went to the um, the cafe next to the Pollywood side, and I went to get some hot chips and a Coca Cola, and they said that'll be thirteen dollars fifty. I was so stunned. Not and quite sh- robbery on the high seas, but close to the high it seas. It was robbery <laughs> next to the dry dock. Can I can I can I just say so? Uh, so that was. Uh, Oh gosh, we, we, oh, I suppose this isn't the final episode, so we don't quite have to, to dry a tear, but, um, but the war has ended. They have. The cruise is over. The flag has come down. The yes. crew have all left whistling Dixley, Dixie, uh, I, I more wonder, or less convincingly. <laughs> yes, I wonder how well they whistled Dixie. I, I actually think that if uh, if Captain Captain Painter had said, "Now, why don't you boys give me a rebel yell?" Uh, he might have got some fairly convincing evidence that, uh, in fact, they were. There, were, there weren't that many Southerners <laughs> on board. Yes. Yes. In fact, I wonder if they had actually had practice before they arrived. You know, <laughs> see, see the national anthem or something like that. But uh, oh, look, I could wrap it on like this all day, but. Uh, you know, for, for almost the last time. And, and it's been wonderful being on this journey with you, Michael, and it's been wonderful, you know, being on this journey without without actual listeners. You know, yep. yes, yes. It's been great. Yes, okay, we have, well, we, we'll join you next week for uh, a wrap-up. A, a recapitulation, yes. Of uh, what happened to the crew, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Alabama claims, because it does, in fact, involve some... Uh, was it 13 tonnes in gold or some incredible oh, 28 tonnes in gold, oh, oh, which we'll, we'll talk about at, uh, in a later ep. Okay, well, this was Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, and I'm Mob. And I'm still Rob. And we'll catch you next week. Tally-ho. And ahoy.